You are now listening to the Heroes for Sale podcast. Whether you are a new collector or a seasoned pro, on a daily basis, I cover topics to help you grow your hobby knowledge and strategies to make you money in the market. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to the show. My name is Adam. I am your host. I am excited to bring on another content creator in the sports card space. It is Brighton, aka Hype Cards on Instagram. Go check him out. So Brighton, how are we doing today? Good, man. How are you doing? Thanks so much for having me on the show. Yeah, definitely. Like I said before, I'm trying to get some more interviews on. And when you reached out to me, I thought, uh, you know, that would be that'd be a great interview. I'm glad I'm glad that you took the time to come on here. Um, So, you know, I, I, a lot of my stuff has content driven. Uh, and I noticed that I, I, what you did at first kind of with your Instagram page and I'll, we'll kind of start at the beginning and kind of make mm-hmm. our way through. So, uh, you roughly started your Instagram page around this time last year. Is that when you got back into cards or was that just when you started getting into, into content? Yeah. So that's when I started getting into content. It's kind of a crazy story. So I collected cards as a kid, just like anyone else. I wasn't crazy with it, but I definitely collected um, probably stopped around 10 or 12. And then after I had graduated college in June of 2019, I heard all these murmurs about how sports cards were doing really well. I had flipped sneakers. I had tried to start like an Amazon arbitrage business. So the concept was really interesting to me, especially since I had did it as a kid and I just absolutely love basketball. I have a huge passion for it. So I thought if I could get into basketball cards, it'd be really cool. So I bought some, uh, Luca cards. I bought his prism rookie card for like $15, about like 10 of them, believe it or not. I'm going for like $400 now. Um, I could not figure out how to grade them because I had bought them raw. So I kind of like let it sit for a little bit. Fast forward to like October, November. Um, I heard people talking about it again. I figured out what a group sub was and how to actually submit into these companies like PSA. So I started, I really started reinvesting in October, November of 2019. And then I started pushing out the content. I think it was maybe February of last year, maybe it was late January. I don't remember for sure, but it's been about a year since the content has started coming out. Yeah, that's awesome. I, I always enjoy having people on that kind of went through the process of the 2019 October period because yeah. it, it was just the it, looking back on it. It's one of the wilder times. I just uh, I recently had Jake's B-ball cards on here, and he mm-hmm. sort of had a similar story where you know he was getting back into it buying, and then like October, the summer comes around, and it's just and then after that, you know, we saw 20 going into 2020, and prices kind of just just went pretty crazy. And and, you know, on your page, you've got a ton of basketball stuff. Uh, you have a great collection of jerseys that I really enjoyed looking through. Uh, is basketball kind of the, the sport that you focus on? Yeah, it is. I don't know what it is. I just have a huge passion. And so when I wanted to start the content, I was like, man, if I'm going to do anything, I've always had a lot of ambition. Like I said, I resold shoes. I tried to start an Amazon arbitrage business. I just didn't know where to put a lot of it. I was like, if I'm going to do anything, I want to try and create a personal brand around basketball. So so far, the avenue has really been through sports cards. You see a lot of them. I've dabbled a little bit in football, a little bit in soccer, but most of my success and most of what I really enjoy and love doing is through the basketball cards. Definitely. Yeah. And I mean, basketball over the past year, I think was in, in 2020, I think eBay came out with the statistic that it was the, it was the sport that grew the most out of any of the major made. Well, actually, I guess soccer, if you're including that in there, that was soccer ended up being second, but basketball was first. I think it was over, it grew in sales over 300%, which is absolutely, absolutely insane, insane statistic. So in, in this era, um, I think graded cards are definitely something that is, you know, you, you see on Instagram, everybody's stacks of graded cards, but a lot of your, you have, but I think you have a different 
kind of combination of graded mm-hmm. cards and ungraded cards. So uh, do you do a lot of grading or do you keep cards raw? Like kind of what's your strategy behind buying, uh, buying from that standpoint and then kind of posting that on Instagram? Yeah, so crazy enough, I have actually never bought a graded card before. Every single card that I've ever bought, every single card that you have, every single graded card you've seen on my Instagram is one that I graded. And every single raw card is one that I bought. So I've never bought a graded card before. I don't know why I've stuck with this strategy, um, but I have, ever since I started, I've always bought them raw and it's, I've created a very diligent process on why I buy certain cards, but I have always bought uh, ungraded cards and then I'll send them in for grading if I think that they're good enough. And some I'll just hold for long-term, some I won't. I have um, like the first, I told you I bought all those Lucas when I first started, I have uh, his Prism PSA 9 and 10 sitting on my shelf over there. I have a couple of his optics. Um, so sometimes it really just kind of varies on if I like the player, I like the card, I'll just keep it for a while. So I have some Lucas and Tatum, some LeBrons and some Currys that are in those PSA slabs. Um, but I have a lot of ungraded cards that I'm either just kind of sitting on and I don't feel like grading quite yet or um that i don't think i'll grade and i just kind of want to get a two or three times return on, on them and then i'll sell them wow so i mean i that's uh that's a pr- that's pretty wild i mean to yeah. be completely honest because like uh like i said grading and buying graded cards has kind of become one of the gold standards within this hobby so for you uh what's the kind of the process you're buying like when it comes to uh, like cards you're looking for. And I mean, I guess we'll kind of start actually with the, the ungraded stuff and then we'll kind of get into maybe some players. So like for you, what is the buying process when it comes to buying rock cards? Cause is that, is that kind of what you do exclusively you buy and then you grade or do you kind of buy and then maybe hold or kind of what's that process like? Yeah. So um, typically it is a, typically I know like I'll, I'll pick some cards out and say, Hey, I'm going to buy, you know, 10 of these, and at least eight of them are going in for grading. So I have a very, very diligent process and it's kind of taken these 15 months to kind of figure out exactly what qualifies a card for me to buy it. But um, I do a lot of buying on eBay. Um, I've gotten very involved in discords, which has really helped because I like to kind of create a relationship with the seller. Cause I feel like if I'm respectful, asking the right questions, they're going to be very honest with me nine times out of 10 back, whether, you know, why they aren't grading the card. Um, so that's a very helpful way for me to get information, but I kind of have just, figured out a process for um, centering is very easy to understand, but just by looking at a card, but there's always little marks or scratches on cards that you can't always see depending on how the picture is taken um, dimples, things like that. But there some, it's, it's easy to see the corners, but sometimes uh, they can be kind of dinged up and you might not see that, or might, there might be some issues with the, uh, with the edges, but my sort of process, I guess um, is it's changed a little bit, but so when I first started, 20 day at PSA really was kind of 20 day at PSA. Sometimes it took like three months uh, and then kind of middle of 2020, it started to take like four months and I was still okay with that. But as I've grown, I've been able to purchase raw cards that are 200, 300, 400, even $500 a piece. And obviously when you do that, the PSA 10 value is very high. So I'm starting to get into sending in just five day and 10 day for PSA, um, which is much closer to actually five day and actually 10 day compared to uh, 20 day at PSA, which is now at at least four or five months. And the turnaround is just very, very long. So I've come up with a, a very strenuous process, a very diligent process on, it takes me, and we can get into, you know, what cards I actually enjoy buying. But once I find the specific card and the specific player, it takes me at least two or three weeks to find a few of them that I think are in good condition to actually buy. 
Yeah, I uh, totally. And I think that's when you're looking at graded card or excuse me, ungraded cards on eBay definitely can be uh, a tricky process, especially if you're looking to get them graded. So I think an interesting thing that the audience would probably be pretty interested in is like uh, when you're going through that process of trying to find the right card, like um, how how do you reach out to a seller and kind of ask them for maybe more pictures or more of a description on the card? Because I think that's pretty important when it comes to negotiating. And I think, you know, people like us have sort of a, a face to the a brand that we've created. But if you look at a lot of card accounts, there really isn't a face behind it. So you don't really know who they are. Uh, so if, if they're reaching out to somebody, they don't really know who they're talking to and it may, they may not go about it the right way. If they're looking to, if they're looking to buy that card ungraded and kind of maybe if it's a, if it's going to be in good condition, that's kind of obviously super important if you're going to get it graded. So for you, like how do you go about kind of contacting sellers and asking them about uh, the condition of the card or it, it maybe even cause they may have other cards. So like, how, how do you go about contacting sellers? Yeah. So that's, there's a few good points you made there. Um, the one thing that's funny is you don't see the face of the person on the other side of eBay. So I've contacted people before and typically what I'll just say is, Hey, that card looks to be in great condition because you can kind of weed out the ones that are centered well and the ones that actually look good on eBay. So I just say, Hey, the card looks to be in great condition. Is there any particular reason that you're not grading the card? And there's typically another five to six messages that get sent between us after that, just kind of getting to know them and why they actually are not grading the card. And sometimes, you know, it might be a 15 or 16 year old that just wants to get rid of it. Sometimes they'll tell you, uh, just straight up, like there's a little scratch on the back that you can't really see, but it is there. And I'll be like, Hey, thanks for your honesty. Sometimes you come across those 60 year old men that have a card shop. They've never sent in cards to grade before just because they don't really like it. It's kind of out of their time. They don't believe in it. And they have all these gorgeous cards that are in great condition that they're happy to sell you. So I always think just being honest with them, being respectful with them is like the number one thing. Cause like I said, nine times out of 10, if you can start a conversation with someone and you're respectful to them, they're going to be honest back with you. So um, just trying to start those conversations. And like I said, sometimes you can hit a gold mine and there's a 50 year old out there that has a card shop that just doesn't like to grade cards. And I've had that happen where I just have relationships with some of those people. And I'll every once in a while, I'll just reach out and say, Hey, do you have any of this specific card to this specific card? And sometimes I'll have them and they'll be in great condition when I get them. Yeah, I totally agree. And do you stay away from listings that maybe have like, you could, because I think if you go to eBay and you type in like Luca, for example, Luca Prism or whatever, any raw card, any raw listing is going to have like PSA 10 with a question mark or like fire with a question mark or gem mint. So like when you're approaching listings, do you try and stay away from stuff like that? Or is that like an instance where you're definitely going to be asking somebody because, you know, it, it is uh, an SEO type thing where people want their cards to show up more. So putting PSA 10 with the question mark in the in the title is it, it's not necessarily um it, and i don't and I, the thing is i don't know if even there's like a policy against something like that but like uh for you is that something that you stay away from or is that something where you're, you're willing to go into whatever listing and talk to whatever or whatever seller so i i'm willing to talk to anyone but it definitely raises some flags because obviously they know what psa is they probably know what a psa 10 is so sometimes I'll do some more digging and go up on their page, see if they are selling graded cards. Cause if they're selling graded cards, well, are you sending some of your ungraded ones in for grading or are you just buying these graded ones and then you're trying to flip them? Cause some people will have half and half on their items for sale. So you can see that they do have a lot of ungraded but they also have a lot of graded. So there is a good chance that they know what they're doing. So I would say I don't entirely stay away from it but it definitely raises some flags um, to where I'll still message them but I'm a little bit skeptical on if they truly know kind of the 
like the actual condition of the card and what's going on. And, you know, you, maybe you don't, maybe you have a spreadsheet or maybe you have some sort of way you've tracked it, but like, what would you say is your success rate when it comes to buying raw and then maybe coming with a PSA 10? Like, yeah. um, I know, I know that like PSA nines are still pretty valuable, but like, mm -hmm. I know people are probably more interested in like what your success rate is with PSA tens. Cause that's kind of the gold standard or, you know, BGS, but mostly PSA. So like, what would you say is uh, your success rate when, or so far that when you've been buying raw and then getting them graded? Yeah. So that's a great question. Um, and so typically I'm right in between like 50 and 60% for PSA tens, which I think is pretty good, especially just buying off eBay and buying off discords. It's an interesting question because I've actually gotten a lot of pushback recently to where I've made TikToks or Instagram reels where I say, Hey, I bought this Tatum card off of eBay ungraded. I'm going to send it into PSA. This is what it costs. This is what I paid for it. If I get a 10, this could be what it's worth. And all these people that don't really know me, they don't know my content, what I'm actually doing. They'll always comment and they'll say, it's impossible to get tens off of eBay. It's impossible to buy tens. There's a reason that people are selling them ungraded. And I get really frustrated because that's kind of what my entire Instagram was built around. And like I said, I've never bought a graded card before. So any 10 that you see that I have on my Instagram page is one that I sent in to get graded and I got a 10 back. So it's right around 50 to 60%. And to kind of track back a little bit and answer one of your previous questions, when I'm looking for specific cards, I always try and set it up where the PSA 10 value is going to be about five times, at least five times what the value is of the card ungraded, because then depending on what I have to spend for grading, it's typically a very good return. And if that follows suit, then typically the PSA nines are about two times what the ungraded value is. So it works out to write about three times with that 50 to 60% gem rate. So have you, um, I guess another kind of question about the success rate, had, what's your, what's your rate of like, where you buy a, uh, a raw card and like, what's like the worst grade that a card has gotten that you've gotten graded. Cause I think that's also definitely something that's important for people to realize that like, yes, most modern cards in theory should be around that eight to 10, but like, have you gotten any that maybe have been below an eight in the past? I have. So like I said, about 50 to 60% are tens. I would say for saying just low balance and 50, I would say the other 40% is going to be nines, probably like, 8% is going to be eights. Then I have gotten like two fives before mm. and I was really, really concerned with both of them as to why they actually got fives. One of them, I ended up looking on the back of it and I don't know if I just was not inspecting it properly when I was getting ready to send it in for grading, but the entire back was just kind of ripped up. And I don't know if it was an issue that happened at PSA or not, but that was a really bad one that I think I just made a mistake on and probably shouldn't have sent it in. Another one, I got a five on, I think, a Luca Optic. And I still, to this day, have no idea that one got a five. Yeah, I mean, I think one of the content that I've posted in the past year talking about grading, it's all subjective, in my opinion. Mm -hmm. Like, you could... I, I don't know if there's a way to really test it. I almost think it would be really not a good thing if they were to mm -hmm. test this. But, like, you could probably give... You, there's probably two tests you could do. You could give the same grader the same card 10 days in a row. And I almost guarantee that there's going to be, it's, it's going to, someday it'll be a nine, some days it'll be a 10. And if you were to give the same card to 10 different graders, you know, there's, it's probably going to be roughly around the same. So I think the automation, when that kind of comes into play, I think that's going to be big for the hobby. So like for you, is that something that you have thought of like is that because obviously with so much grading like um would you be would you like for there to be more consistency with grading or is it you know more of kind of like a 
you're okay with it being inconsistent because that's just how the hobby and how grading has always been. Yeah. So it's a little bit of both. Um, I think for the sake of the hobby and with how many people are getting into it now, it, it is a really good thing if automation does happen. I did see someone is starting a grading company that's completely based off of AI. They spent like, I think they said about $5 million sending cards into PSA, BGS, and like swapping them to see the kind of grades they get and just monitoring the differences in the companies and what makes a 10 an actual 10. So I don't remember the name of the company, but they're just about to start rolling out. So that'll be really interesting. And I think PSA is starting to dabble in the AI grading. Um, but for me, I, I don't know that it necessarily matters. I think I'm sure I've sent in some nines that ended up getting tens and I'm sure I've sent in some tens that ended up getting nines. So I think it'll be interesting to see how the hobby shifts and if less people start to grade because of the automation, because it'll likely get a little bit more strict on what actually is a 10 and what is a nine. Yeah, I, I mean, I agree with that. I think the automation will be good. Uh, it'll be, it'll be, I bet you it'll be good and bad. I don't think it's necessarily going to be totally good or totally bad. I think it's kind of a combination like, um, I mean, just personally, I sent in like eight Mbappe PSA or eight Mbappe's and they all came back at 10, which like, I didn't think they were going to come back at 10. And then I got the uh, information of the pop report and it was like eight tens. I'm like, wow, that is, that's absolutely wild. Cause like, you know, I I've seen, I was actually getting a little bit nervous cause I had seen some people grading some soccer stuff coming back. as like a six. And I was just like, I what if I get like a six on this card? Like, I, I don't know. It you know, it it's, it's definitely something you can run into when you're grading. So uh, we'll move over from grading to kind of your buying process here, players and uh, products in general. So uh, what kind of what kind of process do you have when either you're evaluating a new player or do you kind of focus on uh, a core group of players that you already have bought? Yeah, into? so the number one thing that I found out in my only 15 months of doing this is that popularity really drives price. So what I try and do is I try and pick out players that maybe have similar stats to Luca, similar stats to LeBron, um, similar stats to maybe Jason Tatum and see why their prices are so much lower because they likely are. See what teams are on, you know, if they're, if they're on the Hawks, the Hawks don't get as much attention as maybe the Mavericks do. The Hawks don't get as much attention as maybe the Bucks do. So I try to really follow popularity. Um, and I think that's just very, very important. The media just covers certain teams more than they cover other teams. Um, and then sort of on that same note. So like last year, um, when I was still just kind of learning, Jason Tatum's ungraded prism was like $15. He was playing really, really well. I thought Boston was a big enough market. So I was like, there's no way this should only be $15. I bought in right before the All-Star game. And then two weeks later, they jumped to like $60. So I really try and follow the popularity and sometimes guess, but just kind of have a system of, of understanding who has a chance to become popular within these next few days, whether it's national televised games or different things like that. Um, and then sort of on that same note, I do just, I don't really like to gamble. So I don't really like to uh, invest in players that aren't starting, um, that aren't putting up pretty big numbers just because I think there's a chance that they could pop off. So like Mikhail Bridges, I bought in a bunch of his cards just because I think he's a great player in the long run. Um, but typically I don't buy into players like that where there's a chance that if they score 40 points, their card's going to triple in value. I like to stay with just the players that are popular, like Trey Young, Luca, Jason Tatum, try and find, because on that same note, like I like John Moran. I think he's a great long-term buy, especially because he's injured right now. His prism might be a horrible buy, because like I said, I like that PSA 10 value to be about five times what the raw value is. 
his prism could be a horrible value, horrible value if it's only three times, but his optic might be six times the value. So his optic might be a great buy. And so it's finding those players and then it's going into the specifics of what actual cards are great to purchase of that player, if that makes sense. Yeah, totally. And I think what you said there is actually exactly how I go about it as well. I compare uh, pricing versus like other products. And like one of the things that uh, last year, probably around this time, I was looking into select cards because I was looking at and looking at specific players. So Donovan Mitchell, I bought a bunch of his select mm -hmm. cards and I was looking at them and I was comparing like Luca's prism versus his select prices. And then I also compared Donovan Mitchell's uh, same prism versus select. And I noticed there was a gap there. Um, and I think that's kind of what you touched on a little bit where you're saying like the, the prism is only roughly three times where the optic, maybe five or six times the value of the raw. So, I mean, I think that is a, that's a really good point. And I think, um, or I, I, yeah, I think products are important in the hobby. And I think knowing the difference between the products. So like for you, is there uh, one product you like to focus on? I know you mentioned prism and optic, or do you focus on just those two kind of what's your process when it comes to uh, looking at different products at least? Yeah. So it kind of depends on the year and the person I'm investing in. A lot of it is mainly just prism and optic. Um, but like, I really like Devin Booker. I think he's a great long-term buy. He doesn't necessarily have an optic card. He has his Don Russ rated rookie card, but it's not an optic. So I bought into a lot of Devin Booker's Don Russ rated rookie card because I think it's a great buy because optic only came out in 2016. Um, I've looked at select. My only thing with select, and maybe you have some advice on this, is I struggle to find centering on select and maybe I just haven't done enough research on it, but I want to make sure the products I'm buying and I've just found it easiest with, with Prism and Optic that I can tell centering, I can tell the edges, corners, all that are good to go just by looking at it. And with some, with certain products, I've struggled to be able to do that. And I like to just stick to what I know for the most part. Yeah, that's, that's also a really good point is sticking to what you know, because when you start kind of veering off the path, I think being disciplined in the hobby can be difficult mm -hmm. at times, but I think being disciplined is where you see a lot of the people making consistent money on what, like, whether you're doing grading or whether it's buying cards and selling them. I think the, the consistency and discipline, I think is so important. And, you know, realistically, like if, if, you know, from a money perspective, uh, if you're looking at, um, getting cards or by trying to find cards. I think there's a good, a good percentage, at least that I found is like an 80, 20 rule. Like you want to spend 80% of your money on stuff. That's almost guaranteed that you're going to make your money. So top players, like you mentioned, like a Tatum, um, I think, um, uh, Devin Booker is another example. I think Luca is another good example. And then you maybe want to spend 20% of your money either in like buying boxes or maybe spending it on a little bit more risky, but you, you know, that 20%, you're all right with that 20% going. So, um, I actually have a quick question. Oh yeah, so, for sure. Something that I've started to dabble on kind of in that same rule is in this age, and I mean that in like the last like three to four months, there's a chance if one player, whether he's played any other game during the season or not, scores 30 to 40 points in a game, his cards are going to triple or like quadruple. And that was like Bull Bull last year in the playoffs. It kind of just happened to Mikhail Bridges. Um, you kill Alexander Walker on the Pelicans. It just happened to him as well. Have you thought about investing heavily into a player like that, like maybe Eric Pascal or someone like that, where they could have one really, really good game and their cards are going to triple in value and then you just sell all of them or do not think about anything like that? Well, yeah, I think the, the undervalued nature is something that um, I think a lot of people kind of look for in the hobby. And I think a lot of people use, 
under, I think undervalued player is probably one of the most um, overused terms in, in sports cards. Like I think anybody who is cheap is undervalued. And I think it, uh, we've almost, um, we've almost substituted the word cheap for undervalued because, you know, it's the same thing with your, when you're playing like fantasy sports. So like yeah. when you're playing fantasy sports and you're drafting someone in like the, like the 10th round, like, you know, you could get somebody that, um, has a really low floor uh, and it could be either like, you know, I, I'm not, I don't know exactly an example, but like in the, in the later rounds, you could look at somebody who has a really low floor or high floor, excuse me. So, you know, they're going to pretty consistently get you like 20 points or something or 10 points. I'm not, like I said, I'm not just kind of making up numbers here, or you can look at somebody who has a very high ceiling and maybe could be a boom or bust. So I think the, the, that 20%, I think is definitely an area where you can try and find someone that you think is undervalued because that's also something that I think people really enjoy doing. They really enjoy making the correct call and then getting to like brag about it on social media. I just think that that is definitely something that, uh, people like doing so you know that under the undervalued nature of a lot of players who maybe are like six men on the bench and are just waiting for that opportunity I definitely think there are specific opportunities that you can find so I think the overall I think the opportunity to buy someone who is undervalued versus somebody who is maybe a sure thing I think is also kind of something that just the hobby does kind of in general like you know, last summer you could have really bought anything and it was going to go up. Like, for example, uh, I've been thinking about this as like uh, Markel Fultz, you know, mm -hmm. going into this season, no one was really like, I'm huge, I'm big on Markel Fultz. But like, if you look at his uh, PSA 10 prism cards, they, they, from the beginning of 2020, they went up. Like, so nobody, and like I said, nobody was really looking into Markel Fultz as somebody who uh, was, undervalued or you know so there are tons of um there are opportunities but i think it's i think it is a little bit harder and sometimes yeah. so you know that's kind of does that i think that kind of probably answers yeah. the question no absolutely. There. I, I agree with that i've never really heard that sort of logical thinking behind the undervalued because you hear the word undervalued every single day in the hobby so i think that's a very interesting and a very true point i like that yeah so we've been talking about buying raw and stuff <laughs> like that so had you what was your reasoning kind of behind buying raw and getting them graded versus just buying the cards graded? Obviously you said there's like the profit that's like the five or six X, but like mm -hmm. um, you could probably also get the five or six X if you buy the right PSA 10 and it goes up. So like for you at the beginning, uh, was there a specific moment that you had that you said, well, this is why I'm going to be buying raw and get graded versus just buying graded. Yeah. So it sort of goes back to your question before of my process and when I buy, what do I choose to grade? What do I choose to hold all that stuff? I kind of have just a rolling submission. So like every two or three weeks I'll be submitting into PSA. And so what I like to do is I always buy the raw ones. I'll, like I said, if I buy 10, hopefully I can send at least eight of them in cause they're in great condition. Um, and then when I get them back, hopefully out of those eight, uh, six or seven, I can sell and either cover all my costs or make a pretty good profit. And I can hold another one or two cards and I can hold on to them for a couple of years. And so I'm sort of kind of, trying to keep the business rolling. And it's easiest for me to do that by buying ungraded and ungrading. And then on the side, I have this huge stack of cards that I bought raw and just didn't decide to grade. So I have all those sitting in one place. And then I have all these other cards that are graded. Like I said, from those six or seven that I sold, um, I have the one or two that I was able to hold and they're just kind of gaining value over time. So it's sort of a process of keeping the business rolling 
while making some money while also being able to hold cards for the long term as well. Yeah, I think that's that's a really great answer. And I think the one thing that's great about the hobby is that if there's something different for everybody. Like there's mm-hmm. there's so many different ways you can make money or buy cards. And I think that's really great. So uh, I got one last question for you. Uh, I ask all my guests on the podcast, what is your dream card? So I think for me, I live in Dallas. I'm a huge Luca fan. And like I said at the beginning, he was really the first person I bought into. And he was really the first card that kind of reintroduced me back into the hobby. And just because I've bought so many of his prisms and I stick to prism and optic in general, I think the number one card for me would be uh, Luca's 2018 Prism 280, the one of one, the black PSA 10. Now, have you seen that card i have i haven't seen that card pop up anywhere on social media like i think right after prism came out last year um i saw on facebook that someone had said they sold the one of one zion i think it was in like the 50 50 thousand dollar range which at the the time in maybe it was like last november december uh of 2019 like that card now i mean if that card come out like it probably would easily be in the six figures so you know have you seen that that prism one of one luca pop up because i've seen the national treasures luca but i that's one card that is like it's the holy grail of the hobby right now for the most part yeah i have not seen it i've seen a couple of the golds that are at a Mm. 10 i think i've seen one or two of the out of fives that are like the black and gold kind of mixed together but I have not seen anything. And it's so crazy to me to think that that card could still just be sitting in a pack in someone's house, in someone's office somewhere right now. Yeah. And I think there's a ton of people who are holding 2018 prism, especially, you know, it's it's wild to look back at that, that time and see um, like how many of those packs you could have realistically bought from the store and now how hard it is to find basketball um so i want to thank you so much for coming on the podcast thank you for your time so make sure to tell the audience where they can find you yeah absolutely so my instagram is just hype cards one word and then an underscore same name on tiktok i'm getting back into youtube i just hit 100 subscribers i'm trying to do one video a week just around sports cards so that's just hype cards it's just two words um and those are kind of my my three socials that i dabble in so thank you so much for having me this was a lot of fun it was great to uh just kind of talk about the hobby a little bit yeah absolutely thanks for coming on absolutely thank you